Today's reading is found in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Take a moment to turn to the text in your Bible to follow along. The reading will also be behind me on the screen. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks, Vivian. Well, good morning. I get it. It's cold. I get it. I get it. Something about cold here. Well, um, it is a good morning because we're able to gather. Amen? Gather under the word of Christ. And if you're new with us, I want to especially welcome you. Uh, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We love the word of God, and so we preach and teach through the word of God. And typically, like we are starting this morning in uh, the book of Revelation, uh, we're going to preach all the way through it. Uh, verse 1, chapter 1, all the way through uh, the end, end of Revelation. Uh, let me just tell you, a little peek into the 1045. Last week when I said we were going to study the book of Revelation... You guys applauded and cheered, caught me off guard, if I'm honest, you remember that, like I was at a loss for words, which is rare. Um, The 1045 didn't do that, so they equally caught me off guard um, in in their non-response, and so those of you who do two services, you know what I'm talking about. Um, But okay, uh, okay, so get out, if you you were able to grab one of those resources before service, or your Bible, keep it open, we're going to go through uh, verses 1 through 8 this morning. And uh, this is an introduction. This is, this is the greeting uh, of, of Revelation. So for some of you, this is the only part that's going to make sense. Um, uh, but I want to start out with the most basic fact about the book of Revelation. Here it is. You ready for this? Right. Write this down. It's the book of Revelation. Not Revelations. Anybody else grow up where people called it the book of Revelations? A plural. Everybody say with me, Revelation. Revelation. No S on the end of it, but I also grew up in a city where they called it the Walmarts, too. So, um, you know, maybe I have a skewed perspective on that. But I, I am really excited to start this book. Um, and to be honest with you, this isn't a book I've spent a, a, a lot of time in. I haven't spent a lot of time studying uh, the book of uh, Revelation uh, prior to this, to this study. And I just, I just want to admit that. But I, what I have found is this is a glorious book. 
that is so deeply layered. Even in the introduction, there are layers that we'll unpack to the beauty and the complexity. This is a complicated book on, on many levels, but I hope what we will see above all else is a very clear, can I say that again? A very clear message from the book of Revelation, and it is this. Jesus is victorious, right? Jesus is victorious. And because of that, his church, we as followers of Jesus Christ, can stand in that victory every single day of our lives, no matter what the future holds. Amen? In light of Jesus' victory, the church can be full of hope, right? No matter what the future brings, no matter what your present reality is, no matter what your past has been, there is this hope that is built in because of Jesus' victory into the church. But I realize most of us have our own experiences with the book of Revelation, or me even saying that we're beginning this, maybe begin to bring up um, pasts or histories with this book. Um, I love what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, though St. John the Evangelist saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators meaning the people who are writing about the book of Revelation, creating some crazy stuff. And so again, we all have a history and probably experience with this book. And my goal in this series is not to crush all you've heard or to confirm what you've heard, even though I'll probably err on the side of crushing, I would guess. You see, the book of Revelation is typically met, um, and I I fell into one of these categories, um, with one of two things in both extremes, either obsession or avoidance. Obsessed with seeing every single little detail and trying to decode or to interpret each word or image building timelines and charts. And again, I'm not here to crush that. I'm not here to... to, to, um, refute those type of things. I grew up in a church, a particular tradition where where those things were true, and some of it, let me tell you, was very valuable and formative in my faith. However, many things within those in, in in the way and the tradition, particularly that I grew up being exposed to that, what I have found over time are typically those tend to be rooted in two of our main idols in our culture, control and security. If we can nail a date, if we can draw out a timeline, if we can know this or that or decode what it's saying, then we feel secure and we feel more in control. But the other pitfall, the other ditch, if you will, from obsession is avoidance. Well, it's just confusing, or I have so much baggage with it. There's so much imagery, or there's so much unknown that I'm just going to let it lie in the back of my Bible and not really touch it. And some of you have fallen into that category. I love what one scholar um, says uh, about Satan. He's like, Satan has been really crafty. Satan has been really crafty to, to bring divisions into the church through the books of the Bible where Satan is most clearly under the feet of Jesus. In Genesis, in Revelation, where the victory over Satan is most clearly seen in Genesis and Revelation. Sometimes those are the places where most of the controversies in the church happen. So uh, we want to wade into Revelation with open hearts, open minds, going, Holy Spirit, you show us Jesus in this book. I love what a Bible teacher and author Nancy Guthrie says about Revelation. And I'll put this quote on the screen behind me. She says this. She says, Revelation wasn't written to entertain or to set out a timeline for the future or to satisfy our curiosity about when Christ will return. 
Revelation was written to fortify Christians to live in the world, enduring its harsh treatment and alienation with a firm confidence that this world is not all there is. And that, in fact, what may seem like defeat is going to give way to victory. I love that line where she says Revelation was written to fortify Christians to live in this world. Like, how incredibly, how, how, how much grace would it be if through the 28 weeks of this study in Revelation, we could say that the Parks Church was fortified by the grace and mercy of Jesus to live in the world, in the culture, with all of its beauty and with all of its chaos. Revelation presents us with the ability to do that because it puts before us a victorious king whose name is Jesus. And that victorious king tells the church there is hope. There is hope in this world. In this, um, even our, our, our uh, slide for this series will stand before us week after week as a reminder of this message. And so let's begin. Let's begin our journey into Revelation. Revelation uh, was written by John the Apostle, one of the 12 disciples. At this time in the writing of, of the book of Revelation, by John, he is most likely the only disciple left alive. John is probably somewhere in uh, his, his 80s in, in writing and receiving this revelation from the Lord. We know he's exiled from the, in the island of Patmos, which is just off the south of Greece. The timing uh, in which Revelation was written is sometime around 80 AD. And that's important because it tells us what the Christian community and the church would have been facing at that time. It also tells us um, who was the ruler, particularly um, um, from Rome, who was the global power at that time. Domitian would have been the ruler in power. And so we can look at things like history. We can look at um, different places and writings to tell us particularly what Christians would have been facing during Domitian's rule, which I'm going to talk about this in, in just a second. But at this time in exile on this island, John receives a revelation, a vision. And this is what's picked up as we begin the text in verse 1. And what I want to do to start is walk through these first couple of verses just with the question going, what is revelation? What, what, what is it? Um, and not, not meaning it's confusing, it's this, it's that. What, 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 what does the Word of God say that it is? Well, verse 1 tells us right out of the gate. It is the apocalypsis, the, the word there, the apocalypsis, of Jesus Christ. The word, the Greek word for revelation is the word apocalypsis, or where we get the word apocalypse. And so the word apocalypse literally means uh, unveiling or to uncover. What is revelation? Revelation is a, a disclosure of what is going on, if you will, behind the scenes. Revelation pulls back the curtain on the world that is seen with our physical eyes and unveils a deep spiritual world that is at play, that is happening all around us. And one of the complications with the book of Revelation is the type or genre of literature that it is. The book of Revelation is the type of genre that it is, is apocalyptic. Okay, Daniel, the book of Daniel in your Old Testament is apocalyptic literature. That's the kind of genre that is as well. And one of the reasons that it's so uh, complicated is because we are not familiar with apocalyptic literature. 
Like, we don't have a category for that, right? Like, it's not like we, we have novels, we have uh, other types of genres, we have apocalypse. No, we don't. And in fact, many scholars, um, after the, the book of Revelation, apocalyptic literature, as, as the first century would have known it, kind of goes away. But the first century readers and the first century hearers of this book would have had a framework how to receive and to interpret and understand apocalyptic literature that we don't have. And so listen to me, we have to do a little bit um, harder work, if you will, right? This type of literature is full of symbols. And if you take the symbols as as literal, you'll end up not understanding the book in the way that it was actually written, And this is where I believe many of the complicated timelines that speak more to current events over the last 50 years than the 2,000 years this book has been read and a blessing to the church come from, is not understanding the genre of Revelation. One scholar, he says this, God has chosen to apocalypse or reveal his perspective to us so that we can meet the uncertainty and the unfairness and the undoing of life in this world with faith and hope. And so we're going to treat Revelation in the type of literature that it is, apocalyptic, okay? But John goes on to say, in verse 2, this is not just the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so the second thing we have to understand about Revelation is that it is a testimony, or, or another word there that he uses is the word witness. Now, if you, if you look at the word witness in the Greek, it is the word martyrios. It's where we get the word martyr. Okay? So in the original audience, in, in the original Greek, the word martyr would not have been the definition that we give martyr, right? Martyr is someone who's, who, whose life is taken for their fee, faith or, or however you would uh, describe it in terms of somebody's life being taken, right? So for them... This word morphed over time because it was simply a testimony of the truth. And the testimony of the truth is the testimony of Jesus Christ. So when we hear the word witness, and witness is one of John's favorite words to describe in Revelation, Christians, is that we think when we hear the word witness or testimony, we think of our personal story. That's not necessarily what John has in mind when he's using the word testimony or witness. He is talking about the, the uh, legal testimony, if you will, literally where someone would t- tell and put their life on it, the testimony of who Jesus is, that he is the son of the living God who came, lived a perfect life, who died innocently and rose victoriously and resurrected and sits at the right hand of the Father. That is the testimony somebody, a witness, a true witness of Jesus would have given and said, listen, all I'll stake my life on it. That's the way John is writing this revelation, going, I will give my life to this testimony. That is what's being played out and said within this book. In verse 3, as we continue on, so it's an apocalypse. It's a, it's a testimony or a witness. This book is also a prophecy. Right, And this is probably what most of you think when you think of the book of Revelation. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, prophecy is a loaded word in, in our culture particularly. But I want us, when we think about the word prophecy, as it relates to the book of Revelation, is to hear this, that this is a word from God. It is prophetic. 
It is not a word from human imagination. John didn't make this up. Look at the order at the beginning of Revelation that we just read. It was given by God about Jesus through the angels to John. And so Revelation is prophetic in that it looks through events and happenings, both past, present, and future, to what's really going on in the spiritual realm and what is true around us. Okay, And so many of you think prophecy, if you will, just that word in general means some kind of like future telling. That's, that's not at all. And, and, and I hope what you see in Revelation is that many times John will actually be looking back in a prophetic way. He'll say, so I want you to look back so that you might understand in light of this, in light of Jesus, you might understand these things differently. Uh, Revelation oftentimes is treated like a, a crystal ball. Anybody sat, sat around those teachings or maybe heard those teachings um, where it's like, okay, what's our future, right? Or maybe that magic eight ball where you shake it, you're like, okay, I'm, you know, Jesus, are you coming back this year? Shake it. Oh, not likely, right? Or whatever, right? That is not the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, honestly, is, 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 is more like an x-ray. To be viewed as an x-ray, it gets beyond the surface to the internal, to the, to the real things that are going on, both in our worldly or fleshly realm, but most importantly, in the spiritual realm as well. And it will use these symbols, it will use these images to help us understand that. But let's not miss the repeated word in verse 3 to understand this book. What is Revelation? Revelation, what's the repeated word there in verse 3? Revelation is a blessing. Can we all just take a deep, praise God, right? It is a blessing. And notice that it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud these words, the words of this prophecy. So even in Vivian, reading aloud the verses one through eight, we are blessed this morning to receive because we read aloud the words within this prophecy. And then it also goes on to say, blessed are those at the end of verse three who hear and who keep what is written. So who don't just hear this, who don't just peer in to gather more intellectual knowledge, but who do what with that intellectual knowledge? Live it out. Keep it. Reorient their lives in light of the word of God. And my fear is a lot of the blessing of Revelation has been drained from it by the microscope of, of, of so many having put this book under tagging and labeling everything. And so hear me, my desire and my prayer is that I would and we would fight to keep the blessing of Revelation ever before us and not lose that by trying to figure out every detail and nuance from this book. Uh, somebody who's been very helpful to me in this study is, is, is Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson wrote a book um, called Reversed Thunder. Most of you know Eugene Peterson from The Message. Um, he was a pastor, a scholar, great writer. And something he says, and this is a quote from him, he says, the famous blessing that stands on the first page of Revelation is not for those who read for information or knowledge. And by the way, we're going to receive information and knowledge. He's not saying that that's bad intrinsically. But for those who read aloud and for those who hear, reconstituting or reorienting the words as oral and visual realities that pull us into a personal encounter with a personal God. Did you hear that? Like it's this, it's this vision of this reality that pulls us in to an experience with a God who wants us to know him deeply and intimately. And Peterson, in, in, in that same book, he goes on to say that, that revelation is not written again 
for just more information or head knowledge. In fact, he points to the other 65 books we have in our Bible. He goes, you have in those other 65 books in your Bible, all the information, if you will, of who God is, of his redemptive plan, of his defeat over, over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And in fact, in the Gospels, you have everything you, know to, you need to know who Jesus is and, and what he's done, what he came to accomplish. In the epistles, you have the, the writings of Paul to instruct our theology and form churches in Ephesians, all these different things. You have almost all the knowledge you need. And he's like, why revelation? And I love what Eugene says. He goes, to essentially take all of that knowledge, right? I don't know how many verses and how many chapters we've preached through here at the Parks Church over the last 13 years, but it's been a lot, amen? It's essentially to take, imagine, all of your daily readings outside of Revelation, to take all of your studies, all the sermons, all the podcasts you've ever heard. In Revelation, one of the things that Revelation does is hopefully it sets that knowledge on fire because it lights your imagination with a true picture of who God is. The awe in the wonder of his holiness. The awe in the wonder of his power and of his victory. And that, what that does is that drives a deep stake of hope in your heart and in this church. That's the book of Revelation. So it's an apocalypse. It's a testimony. It's a prophecy. It's, it's, it's a blessing, y'all. It's also a letter. Notice at the end of verse 3, Going into verse 4, it says, keep what is written, for the time is near. All right, Kyle, we're going to make some predictions here. <laughs> I hope I've done a better job than that so far. What time is that? So there are 404 verses in the book of Revelation. 404 verses, which isn't really that many. Um, but there are nearly, in those 404 verses, nearly 300 allusions um, Old Testament allusions in those 404 verses. So for, so, so for those of you that think the Old Testament is irrelevant, sorry. <laughs> it's going to be real relevant in us understanding Revelation. And one of those is Daniel, the book of Daniel, another piece of apocalyptic literature in our Bible. In Daniel, um, we're going to see a lot of things, but, but in Daniel chapter uh, 12, verse 4, do we have that one? This is what was said to Daniel, another piece of apocalyptic literature in our Old Testament. Shut up the words and seal the book or close it until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. So the word to Daniel after he wrote down his revelation, when he wrote down this apocalyptic uh, vision, if you will, what was the message from the Lord to him about that? Close it. Seal it up. And what we're going to find in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 22, particularly the last one, is it's actually going to say, do what? Open it up. The time is near, right? And so this is a very important question we must ask as Christians. It's not what time is it, it's when are we? When is the time where we stand? And when are we is this, we're in what's known as the church age. That wasn't when Daniel was. We're in the age of the church where Christ has come, the Holy Spirit is in us, the, the, the church is being formed, the people of God, the redeemed community is being formed for God's glory, okay? That is when we are. The time is near now for the church to understand these things. So open up the book and disclose it all. That's what time it is. 
And we're going to unpack that more as that phrase actually will be used coming up. But this, for the time is near, has to be understood through what revelation is. Not just an apocalypse, not just a witness or a testimony, not just that it was um, uh, this, this, this blessing, but it was a letter written to specific churches. And many of you, probably the, really the, the place that most people are familiar with in the book of Revelation is the letters to the seven churches. And so the, the Revelation was written to these specific churches in modern-day Tur- Turkey. It says Asia Minor here, which is, is the modern-day Turkey. And so I want us to understand that, that while Revelation was written for you and me, hear me, like the Word of God was written for us, for our edification, for the disclosure of who God is, it wasn't written specifically to you. You and I weren't the original audience, as is disclosed here in verse 4. You see, we'll dig more into those churches here in a couple weeks. But like I said in the introduction, that these churches, that this is specifically written to the Christians of this particular time, they were under the rule of, of Domitian. And it's important to understand that under his rule, they were facing a pretty intense persecution. They were facing a political pressure to conform to the politics of the day of Rome. They were facing religious persecution from Jews that were tired of Christians uh, worshiping alongside them. This was a deep time of tension where Christians were being reported to uh, both by Jews and and non-Jews alike to the government and the authorities kind of at will as as, as people said, you know, uh, I'll tolerate you as a Christian for as long as I want to and then I'm going to report you. And so can you imagine living under that kind of uh, pressure knowing every day that this might be a day where you get reported? for your worship of God. And while we don't understand the exact type of persecution these churches experienced, what I think we can relate to is cultural pressure to conform. We can understand in some way political unrest and maybe even religious opposition. You see, Revelation is a message, a prophetic, the word of God message for us today in our lives and in our cultural moment, just as it was for these seven churches. But let's not forget that it was written specifically to them, but it is written for us. And so even in light of that backdrop, as we begin to teach through the letters to the seven churches, You would remember that pressure. You would remember those things that they were facing in their particular time. And now the things like apathy or lukewarmness or lack of zeal, these different things, they might make more sense in light of the backdrop that they were trying to live and, and, and be a part of there in that region. And then in verse four, John begins the greeting of this letter in a typical way. In a typical fashion, he says, grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of earth. And so now with all of those things framing our thoughts, we now get into this letter that he is writing these churches. He's writing to these persecuted Christians, trying to get them, that they're trying to uh, face pressure to conform and all of these things, people being ripped out of their families, persecution like we can't fathom. He writes this grace and peace to you. Now again, like I said, that is typical. If you know your Bible, your New Testament particularly, grace and peace is a common letter opening among Christians. Paul uses it a lot, but what is unique about this grace and peace writing is typically, in fact, I don't even think it's typically, I think it's 
every other time it's used, it's grace and peace from the Father, or grace and peace from Christ Jesus the Son, or the Father and the Son. This is the only time in our New Testament where grace and peace is tied to the Trinity. Right? What is the Trinity? We believe that there is one God and three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Did you notice in those verses that I just read that Trinity language? Right? Well, if you didn't, I'm going to point it out to you. It starts with him going grace and peace to you from the one who was, is, and to come. Who is that? That's talking about God the Father. That is a language that John is expanding from the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 3, where God discloses to Moses, right, uh, uh, when he goes, who do, I, who do I say to Pharaoh, who do I tell Pharaoh uh, sent me before him? And who does God disclose himself to be? He goes, you tell him this, I am. Like, you tell him I am. What is that? That is this all-encompassing, this everything has sent you, Moses, the one who has all the authority has sent you to him, right? Now, what John is doing, he's taking that I am, and he's expanding it, and he's going, listen, this is the God who sits above and outside of time, the one who is, the one who, the one who was, is, and to come. He is the one who is sending grace and peace to you. Now, let's bring this a little bit more personal here, if you will, if we would just grasp this about our God. Because so many of us, we, we, we bring into settings like this, and maybe it's, it's even undisclosed to those around us, but we bring in, in terms of uh, was, our past. We bring so much shame or guilt in. What does our God do? He says to your past, I was there. Grace and peace to you. Some of us about our present, we, what we bring in about our present, if, if you're like me, we bring in so much anxiety, we bring in so much, like, so much maybe, maybe worry about the present. Maybe that even seeps over into the future. What does he say about those two things? Listen, I am with you in the present. What does he say to you and I in our present? Grace and peace to you. Your future, the future of 2024, right? Listen, we know, here's what we know about 2024, there are going to be things that happen in your life and in our culture and in our community, in our church that are absolutely unexpected. And here's what God says. The one who was, is, and is to come, grace and peace to you, church. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I love what one author, he says like this. He says, you don't have to master the future. You don't have to control the present and you don't have to atone for the past. That's the gospel, right? He forgives our past, present, and future. How can our God do that? Because he sits above time. God is in control. He's there. He always has been him who was and is and is to come. And then he says, and from seven spirits who are before his throne, you're going to see the number seven a lot in the book of Revelation. The number seven is the number for biblical completeness or wholeness or perfection. And I think specifically with, with this um, letter being written to seven churches, John uses seven spirits to show uh, to these seven churches the completeness, the all-knowing, the all-present spirit of God. This is where we see the Holy Spirit, right? The third person in the Trinity. And so he's telling these churches as he would tell you and me this morning that all around you, right? The seven churches particularly, all around you are the powers of Rome, the symbols of Rome all around you. But there is with you one who is before the throne of God connecting you 
to God the Father and God the Son. That is God the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. Look at that. You who are before his throne. Like, church, do you realize that same spirit that John's talking about there for those seven churches 2,000 years ago is the same spirit that is in you and among us? He is with you before the throne of God. And then he says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth. Now, each of those statements could have a sermon all of their own. But I want you to notice here, the language that John uses is right in step with what we've talked a lot about here. Painting Jesus in his different offices, the perfect fulfillment of what? Prophet, priest, and king. The faithful witness of God, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Now, it's interesting, in Isaiah 11, Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. Now, here I'm not going to read this just for time's sake. Just make that note down. Isaiah 11 is a prophecy looking forward to the Messiah. And it talks about the Messiah having six spirits. So you have the Messiah, the one who is fulfilled, the, 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 the root of Jesse, if you will, being fulfilled and him having these seven, these six other spirits. So you have Jesus and six other spirits, right? Well, that's five. What does that make? Seven. Jesus, again, seen as this perfect completion, that he is the true and faithful witness, that he is our model and our pattern. He is our testimony, right? We are, as Christians, to be faithful as he was faithful. We are to witness as he witnessed. How, where did Jesus' testimony and earthly witness get him? Cupcakes and roses, that's right. The crucifixion, the cross, suffering. And listen, that may be the case for us too. And that is the message that John is leveling for these seven churches. But there's hope. And the hope is found in the next phrase, that he is the firstborn of the dead. Now, don't get some crazy theology here, okay? Understand that what the scriptures mean by the firstborn of the dead is this, that Jesus is the first one, the human being, him in flesh, incarnate, resurrected, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He is the firstborn of the dead. Now, what's going to follow him, do the scriptures tell us? That those who are in Christ will not be dead, but will do what? Share in his resurrection life. But Jesus is the first one the forerunner, the one who goes before, the firstborn of the dead. So that is the hope that we have, is that just as he is resurrected, we too will share in the resurrection life. So our testimony we can swear by and say, listen, take my physical life because Jesus has just promised me victory in that he will resurrect me just like he resurrected himself. That's the hope that we have. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. And then let's be honest, in verses five and six, John kind of goes into like a praise break, right? Fancy word for that would be doxology, okay? Doxa, glory, speaking out God's glory. And so look at this in verses five, the end of verse five and six, it says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Like that in itself is just a blessing. Look at those words. He loves us, what in the world? Jesus actually loves us. We just sang about it. Oh, how I love you, right? But let's not forget he loved us first. And John is saying that he loves you and he has freed you. And then he has made us a kingdom. What does he mean by a kingdom? 
He means he has called you in as citizens. And it goes even a step further in verse 6 and says that, that he has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. What is a priest? What is the role of a priest? Here's the role of a priest in this world to be God's representative. That's the role of a priest. Now, Jesus is the ultimate high priest, our mediator, but he says, listen, I've made you citizens, but I've also made you priests to the watching world that they might see and understand who God is so that they too might peer in and go, Christ, be magnified. Oh, he's loved us. He's freed us. He has made us his own. And to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that seems like a very fitting ending, doesn't it? But that's not where John ends. Verses 7 and 8, he has an announcement about this king. He has an announcement about Jesus Christ. And the announcement is this. He's going to come back. His second coming is, is, is going to happen. And so verse 7 begins with a very important biblical word. When you see it, you should pay attention because that's what it means. Pay attention. Behold. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. What is John saying there? Listen, get ready. Live your life in such a way that is ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, this is drawing on two Old Testament allusions. Daniel chapter 7 in verse 13 and Zechariah 12 verse 10. Zechari uh, Daniel 7 talking about Jesus being enthroned in heaven. And Zechariah 12 talking about Jesus being victorious or the Messiah being victorious over all of Israel's enemies. But if you look at Revelation and what John is saying, he expands it not just for Israel's enemies, but to who? Anybody who opposes Christ, it says, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on the account of him. So here's what you need to understand at the most basic level about the second coming of Jesus Christ, that it is going to be absolutely visible and undeniable to everyone. And the third thing is that for those who reject Jesus, it will be a time of deep grieving. Maybe the most real their thoughts have ever been. And what they have missed. And so the message to the church is, behold, pay attention, live as citizens and priests in this world because the coming of Jesus is going to illuminate his glory. And so listen, by faith, the Holy Spirit allows us to see the victory of Jesus now, even now, as we stand with the, 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 the world and the contrary evidence all around us, right? Like we, it's sometimes hard to see past where we are individually, especially when things, when suffering is so close to us. Is it not? When things seem so confusing and contrary even to what Revelation is laying out here. But this section ends with God actually speaking about himself, and this is only one of two places where God speaks like this in the book of Revelation. And this is what he says at the end of this greeting before we get next week into the first vision. Here's what God says. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And he repeats a phrase that we already unpacked. Who is who was and is to come. 
I am the Almighty. So what John just did there is he's going, hey, I don't want you to hear my voice. I don't even want you to hear me in my person, if you will, writing. This is God going, I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the confidence. I'm the hope you have, the one who stands above time, over time. The one who, who, who was before heaven. I created heaven, God says. I am here. And he's also going, I'm vouching. I'm attesting to everything you're going to hear as we move forward in the book of Revelation. Not one bit escapes our God. Not one bit of our lives or the book of Revelation escapes our God. And let me tell you, that is really good news. And so what, what I've found in writing these messages in Revelation is that, um, to be honest, they're very hard to, to wrap up. They're very hard to end. One, because like we'll see next week, we're going to pick up verse 9. These letters, they were read as letters. They were read all together. They didn't do what I just did and say, we're going to take this chunk, break it down, see you in seven days, and hopefully you'll remember one word of what I said, right? It was different. And so my, my prayer in, in, in for this message, for this time together, is that we would understand that revelation reveals God to us and we are blessed by that. And that blessing would be that we worship him with white-hot worship regardless of our circumstances. Regardless of cultural circumstances, regardless of our individual circumstances, regardless of what we may think or want in 2024, right? We would understand the one who is, the one who was, and the one who will be, and we will be confident in him regardless of what the times in our life hold. And that we would hold that as a blessing. And so my prayer as we um, prepare our hearts to come to the tables of communion is this. Holy Spirit, press the blessing into our hearts that we would not just intellectually know, okay, this is a blessing, but we would experience it, that our head knowledge would lead to our heart and it would lead to our feet. So we would, we would know it, we would experience it, and then we would live it out by faith. That kind of confidence. Imagine a, a church that is full of the confidence given by the Holy Spirit going, Jesus is victorious. Let me tell you, that is going to, that's going to light our evangelism on fire in the best of way, by the way. It's, it's, it's going to set our serving on fire. It's, it's going to set our imaginations for who God is and what he can do in and through our lives on fire because we go, listen, this is the hope we have. Jesus is victorious and nothing can stop him. No matter what I see, no matter what pundits say, listen, nothing can stop Jesus and nothing, listen, nothing can stop his church. Let me tell you, there are three main focuses in, in, in Revelation. The church God, right? The triune God in creation. He's renewing it. He's building it back, right? He's, he, he's, he's restructuring all of it. You know those three things? Those are the only three things that last in the end. God, the church, and creation. How beautiful is that? And listen, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, you're part of a community, the redeemed community full of the Holy Spirit known as what? The church. What a blessing. So let me pray. Hosts, get ready. Father, lead us now by the power of your Holy Spirit to the tables where we remember your sacrifice, your broken body that demonstrates your love for us, 
your blood that covers us and saves us, as your word here in Revelation even says, and frees us from the tyranny of sin. Lord, I pray for us as a church as we begin this journey through Revelation. Lord, I pray that we would not just walk through Revelation, but that Revelation, your word, your prophecy, um, your witness, your testimony, your apocalypse would walk through us as a community. Reorient this entire church with a confidence in our victorious King, Jesus. Give us hope. Oh, Lord, I feel um, sometimes so beat down um, in my own life by my own shortcomings by the things around me, by the things my eyes say, see, by the, by, by the words that the enemy speaks to me that I believe. Lord, I pray that your voice and your word would be louder, giving us hope, giving us confidence. God, evoke and provoke in us a, a powerful and palpable worship. May we stand truly as a light in the darkness that we would say the time is near. There is a a second coming of Jesus, a second coming where you arrive in power and authority, where the old is gone, the new comes, where the pain is no more, where hurting and suffering are no more. And God, to that we say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. God, but until that day and that time that you see fit, Lord, we wait. Show us how to wait. Teach us how to be patient and endure with steadfast hope. Drive our anchor of faith deep, I pray. Use revelation to do that. God, may your grace, may your peace be upon us as we receive the elements of communion this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.